So 1 Corinthians chapter 16 is where we're going to start. Then we'll wind up in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 as we go forward. Um, Have you ever found yourself doing something without knowing why you were doing it? Yeah, as you get older, that happens more and more often, right? You walk into a room like, why did I come here? But life can be like that. You can get into patterns or you can be following somebody. You have no idea why they're doing what, but you're doing it with them. When I was probably like six or seven, um, our pancake griddle in our, in our house broke. The handle, one of the plastic handles broke off of it. And so my dad's solution to that was we didn't have pancakes anymore. Um, <laughs> But my grandparents came over and were watching us while my mom and dad were away. And my grandfather was going to fix this griddle. And so I was six or seven. I was going to help him fix this griddle. And so we went out to the garage and we did some things there that I had no idea what we were doing. And then we walked back in the house and we took that handle and we put it against the griddle. And for some reason, we put the griddle and we walked back out to the garage. We must have made 40 trips in and out from the garage to the kitchen. I have no, I'm six, I'm seven, I'm helping, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, turns out he was trying to make sure that, you know, it fit right and wasn't going to rock and whatever because my grandfather was a perfectionist. And I learned a lot of things about patience or whatever from him, but not that day. All I did that day was follow along without any idea of what I was doing. Sometimes at church, it can get like that. You can be following along and you can lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing. It just feels like, well, this is what we always do, so we just do it. But I'm hoping today we can figure out a little bit about why we do this one particular thing. As I grew up, we were in church all the time. Uh, All kinds of programs, all kinds of activities. But my parents also supported ministries, large ministries, outside of their their local church. Um, One of those was uh, Liberty Bible College, which is now Liberty University. Uh, and Jerry Falwell, who's now with the Lord. And uh, whatever you think about him, uh, you know, it's really not about that. But I I would say this. Uh, I I recognize that they must have donated money to him because it it sort of became a joke. Every other day, we got a letter from Jerry Falwell about the next financial crisis. I mean, it was crazy. It It was like, you know, oh, you have to give, and if you don't give, everything's going to fall apart, and there's this, this is deadline in only 30 days or 20 days or whatever, and if you don't give, if you don't, and it was like, I mean, literally, it was like every three days, you got another letter. It became just, even as a 15-year-old, I thought, is it really a good idea to keep giving money who is, to someone who is always in financial crisis? Like, maybe he doesn't know what he's doing, and he should find somebody else to handle the money. But now as an adult, I realize that was a technique. Crisis is a technique to get people to give, to get people to feel like it's urgent and they need to and whatever. It was his way of motivating people to give. And so it it brings me to what I want to talk to you about today, giving in church. Why do we give to church? Should we give to church? What are we taught in scripture about this idea? The reason I'm talking about it is because one of our challenges for this year is significant growth in giving. So church family, this is for you. I thought I would take this week and show us what we're told in the New Testament. I'm hoping to teach you from the Word of God today, okay? If you are not part of our church family, but you're part of another church family, this is a teaching for you to apply at your church, okay? If you are not a believer, this is not for you. You are welcome to listen in, but don't give us any money, please. 
what? Yeah. This is not so that if you don't know Jesus, that you will start giving us money. This is for those who are following Jesus, okay? If you don't know Jesus, we want you to know him. That's what we want. And we're not, we didn't invite you so you could fill up our offering plate. And we don't care what you give because we serve the one who owns everything in the whole universe. Okay? This is not so a money-making scheme. This is because some, so much disinformation is out there that I want to clarify it. I want for us as a church family to interact with the Word of God. There is no shortage of talking about giving. Turn on the TV, go to any church. They talk about it all the time. I've been to places where I was like, seriously, you're taking an offering now? It was just like, what are you thinking? This is so out of... People make promises when they talk about what giving uh, will do for you. Emotions get stirred. I mean, do you believe that we're supposed to give to church so we'll get rich? Is that what the Bible teaches? Are we supposed to give because of an emotional stirring, because we're sad or excited or or pumped up? What should motivate us to give? I believe there are answers in the New Testament. And should we give out of fear? Do we get in trouble if we don't give? Does God get mad at us if we don't give? Do we get punished if we don't give? Is there a formula? Is there, do you have to be a mathematician? There's some kind of formula for how to give. So we're going to look in the New Testament, because the New Testament is about the church. We're going to look in the New Testament about what Paul says in a few, few places where he teaches the church in Corinth about giving. The first place is in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Okay? So as we, as we dive into this, I'll kind of give you the, the overarching idea of the, the story of God's people in the Word of God. In the Old Testament, God's people was a nation. It was the children of Israel. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were a nation that served God. They were called out from God, from all the nations on the earth. They were actually called to be a light to the nations of the earth so that all nations would worship the true and living God. But God worked through them. And there was a government in place of that nation. So there are a lot of laws in the Old Testament about how that nation should work that people try to apply to other nations and doesn't really apply to other nations. That doesn't mean there's not more moral principles there, but the idea is that was a specific time and a specific place for God to interact with those people. And so in those laws, there are all kinds of laws about how to give. We could go through uh, Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy and all kinds of ideas about how to give and what God said to give in certain times and places. But I would rather go to the New Testament because in the New Testament, God calls out a people that he calls the church, the body of Christ. In the New Testament, we are God's people. We are now in this age of grace, God's people. In the New Testament, we find much less detail, but we still find instruction on how to give. And so I want to take you through that. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let's see what we can learn, verses 1 and 2. Here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. All right, so there's just a few principles in this. Uh, I, I don't have a larger context for you. We, could, we just taught through 1 Corinthians a couple of years ago, so there's a lot going on here. But let's take the practical things that we can take from this for you. Because what I don't want is for you to think 
you know, when things go bad for you financially, that they went bad for you financially for some reason that we don't find in the Word of God. Or when things go well for you, that that's a reflection of something that we don't find in the Word of God. So this is about how God's people should give. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Some believe that that's about, you know, giving so that God's people elsewhere would have provision. But I believe what Paul's saying there is this is about how we should, in the church of Jesus Christ, collect money. It is a collection for the Lord's people. What you'll notice is that we don't get any specifics on, well, you should pass a plate around with ushers who look disapprovingly on you as you... You know, what always got me was the baskets with the sticks on them. You right? And they're just like, they're holding it in front of you like, all right, it's your turn. I'm not moving it until... We don't find any instruction on baskets with sticks. We don't even find instructions on it should be a, a part of a worship service or there should be special music song. Or What we find is that, first of all, it is something that is for the Lord's people. And secondly, it is for churches in general. It's not just for the church of Corinth. He says, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Galatia is a region. It's Asia Minor. It's where Turkey is now. And there were churches all around that. And Paul says, do what I told them to do. In other words, what I'm teaching you, what I'm telling you here about giving is applicable across churches. It's not just specific to one churches. It's applicable to churches in general. And there is a specific given. It is that a collection should be taken each week. In other words, This should be a regular, normal thing for believers. It should not be uh, an up and down thing, a now and then thing, a collection taken each week, implying that we as believers should be giving each week. Okay, so if we take a collection and nothing comes in, there's not really a collection, that's just air, right? So the idea is we are collecting each week because Paul is instructing us as believers to give each week. He's specifically directing them away from a big, dramatic, crisis-based offering. They were collecting in part for Paul's ministry. And so Paul said, do this on a regular basis so that there isn't some big crisis when I get there and you've got to do a big, hefty collection. Do it faithfully. Do it regularly. Do it week by week. Give week by week. And then he tells us something. He doesn't give us a mathematical formula, but he says something. And this is where I believe that it's really important as a believer that the Spirit of God is in you. Okay, the spirit of God, because he says you should give a sum of money in keeping with your income. In proportion to what you make, to what comes in, you should give in proportion to that. So believers, this is the instruction for you. You should have in your own soul an idea of what God would ask you to give or want you to give in proportion to what he has been providing for you. Look at what you've taken in and between you and God, sort out some percentage that you are on purpose and faithfully giving to church. This is the Christian pattern. Giving each week, giving something you have determined that you are going to give, something that you feel that is is your idea from the Lord that you are going to give because it's from your heart. A sum of money in keeping with your income. In the Old Testament, 
there was a tithe. If you've ever heard the word tithe in church, it comes from an Old Testament idea. And the Old Testament idea was 10% of what you came in. So it was a percentage. It was a specific percentage. And it was every time you did a harvest or any time that you gave 10% of what God brought to you, it was a way of reflecting that God had given it to you. Many churches teach this principle as a way of helping believers understand the need to be faithful and sacrificial. In other words, it's not a bad thing. If you believe that you should tithe, you should give 10%. That's not a bad thing. It's a helpful thing and whatever because 10% gives you the sense that you are not just, well, I'm going to give the leftovers. I'm going to give what I don't need or don't want. There's an idea of on purpose, week by week, giving some sum of money. Uh, 10% is not nothing, but it's not everything. It's, it's a, so there's nothing wrong with it. But I want you to understand the New Testament talks about giving many times, but not once does it talk about tithing. It doesn't give a percentage. The only thing Jesus does is he says to the Pharisees uh, in the Gospels that they talk about tithing and they should talk about tithing. But this is before the New Testament church begins. This is back before Jesus died and rose. This is in, they are under the law and he's talking to them about keeping the law. So it's proper for them to talk about tithing. And that's the only time in the New Testament we find any percentage uh, and it's not even applicable to the church. So instead, what we find to me is an eagerness to give, even a call to sacrifice beyond what is convenient or safe. People of God, this is what God calls you to. He calls you to give, not in a way that's safe, not in a way that's comfortable, but in a way that reflects the value of what God is doing. One thing we can definitely take from the Old Testament is the reasons that God called his people to give. When God spoke to Moses about giving, there were three main reasons that people gave to the work of God. Number one, they gave for the place of worship. So, that they, so they would give to the temple. As a matter of fact, in Exodus, when they build the temple, it's all based off of offerings. They give their gold and they give their silver. You know what Moses has to say as they're giving? That's enough. No more, please. It reflects how God had provided for them. And you know how they got all that gold and silver? Because they were slaves just a little bit before. God gave them that, those riches from the Egyptians as they walked out. Because after Passover, after the death of the firstborn, the Egyptians were like, get out of here and go far away. Here's money to make sure you go far away. Here's gold, here's silver. And it says, so they spoiled the Egyptians. They took all of their riches because the Egyptians gave it to them. So the Israelites didn't work for all this. They had been given it. And when it came time to build the house of God, they were like, well, God gave us this. I'll give it to God. So they gave for the house of worship, for the things that were needed, for a place for them to gather, for the temple. For us in the New Testament and for us as a part of this family, this is our place of worship. And we give so that this place can operate, so that it can have what it needs, so that you know the, the functions can go on, the lights can go on, whatever. Right now we're trying to fix air conditioning and heating and stuff like that, so that things work, so that we can get together and worship the Lord. That's one reason we give. Second reason they gave in the Old Testament was for the people who were devoted to spiritual ministry. So that was like the Levites and the priests and stuff like that. And so we have a few people here who have set aside other careers and are working so that this place can work. And we give so that they can live. 
There is a, a way, in other words, if you're part of the church, some of what God has given you is so that the people who are devoted to the place where we worship can have an income, right? It's not all for you. So God gave, if you're part of the church, God gave you some of that income so that other people who gave aside other incomes would have an income through you, through giving. So they give for the people who are devoted. And then thirdly, they gave for those who are in need. Those who are without, those who are hurting, those who for some situation or circumstance in life don't have enough and they would give to those in need. And so we, we find this pattern and we find from Paul that we should give on the first day of the week a sum of money in keeping with our income. We should give on purpose and we should give regularly. All right, flip over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we're going to find a little bit more. Because Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 9, talks about giving again, and he talks about it as a test. Talks about it as a test. So what would he be testing? Well, let's read what he says. Verses 7 to 9 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says this, But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love that we have kindled for you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Okay, so we've got this, these words from Paul about this test that he wants to give to these people. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I am challenging you. I want to I show the world and even you yourselves where your heart lies. He says, I want you to test the sincerity of your love. What does sincerity mean? It means genuineness. It means purity. It means integrity. It means whole all the way through. In church, I guess the best way we could talk about sincerity of your faith is if you have an act that you put on in church that makes other people think you're spiritual, but that doesn't go all the way through, it's just an act, that would be uh, not sincere, not genuine, not pure. He says, I want to see if your faith is sincere, if it goes all the way down to the depths of your soul, the purity of your faith. And he says, what are the ways, maybe the way he's asking them right here, the way I want to test that is this, in how you give. In how you give. What he's saying is this, if you're a believer, we don't trust money. We don't find security in money. We don't put our hope in money. Anybody agree with that? Not so much. Okay. (laughs) That's why it's the test. You see? Because our natural humanity looks at our bank account and our bills and compares the two and decides if we're okay or not. But as believers, that is such a downgrade from your birthright as believers. Here's how you are to determine whether you're okay or not. Am I his? Yes, we're good. Because my security is from him. See? So I'm here to test the sincerity of your faith. We don't follow Jesus for money. We don't follow Jesus and money. Why do you follow Jesus? 
See, what he's saying here is, there is uh, if you're not willing to give to the Lord's work, your faith has been compromised. Something's got a hold of you, and it seems to have a greater value to you than what Jesus has done for you. We say, and we just celebrated last weekend, the greatest gift and the greatest cause we'll ever know is what Jesus did for us. But is it worth giving up your hard-earned money for? Well, well, let's not get crazy. I mean, I came and I sang and I praised and isn't that enough? And I volunteer sometimes and isn't that enough? What if Jesus said, isn't that enough somewhere along the way? This is what he's, what he's saying to you is, we give because we're not in this for money. I would tell you as a church, I'm not even preaching this because we're hurting for money, because we're not. I'm preaching this because this is a way that is given to us from God for our souls to be healthy. And I want you to be healthy. Whatever that means for our bottom line, we'll deal with it on the other end. We trust God with that. That's not, I'm not trying to say, well, therefore we need you to, I'm saying, do you understand why you give? and where you give from, and do you understand how it tests you, how it exposes some of the battlegrounds in your life? He says, since you excel in so many parts of spiritual health, excel in this too. In other words, giving is a part of your spiritual walk. And if you are not giving, you have been left open and vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy that make your hope in your money. So, Is anybody living stressed out about their money? What's the prescription? And this is anti, like it's completely opposite of your normal intuition. Give your money away. If you are stressed about money, give your money away to a cause you believe in. Why? Because you are letting go of the hope that you have placed in that money. You are choosing to walk by faith instead of sight. And then Jesus, our living hope, becomes our hope, and we have decided to put our hope in Him instead of that. So we give to test the sincerity of our faith. We also, when we give, we acknowledge what Jesus said about the battle where money could be our master. We just saw it in the Sermon on the Mount. Either you will serve one or you will serve the other. You will hate one and love the other or vice versa. And he puts the comparison between God and money. He says, Jesus says, we have to see it as an either or. That either our God is money or the things of this earth or our God is the true and living God. It can't be both. And so he says, you have to do battle. You have to deliberately move away from the pull of money. You have to be set free from the entanglement of money as an idol, as a master, as a treasure. And I would say, if you are unwilling to give to God's work, or you are unmotivated to give to God's work, that is a huge clue that your faith has been poisoned. That you call on the name of Jesus, and you say you believe in Him, you say that He is your life, but He isn't. Not right now, anyway. That you have been diverted. You have more faith in your money than in the provider of that money. Third reason we give, remember who we follow. Paul says he became poor so we could become rich. 
So as we give, we reflect Jesus. Think about how poor Jesus became. I mean, we know that on this earth, he lived without possessions. Literally, all he had were the clothes on his back. Could you imagine living with just the clothes on your back? That's how Jesus lived. So that's poor. That's really poor, right? But think about it in comparison to what he had before he came to earth. He's laid all of that aside. Why? So that we could become rich. So now what we're seeing is this contrast. We're seeing this calling. Paul connects it to, if we're followers of Jesus, we should be people who are not all wrapped up in riches. Because why? The one we follow wasn't. He was willing to lay them aside so that we could become rich. What we have financially is not as valuable as what we long for spiritually. And so we don't hold on to our money. We follow Jesus in setting it aside. Last reason is that we recognize what we have comes from God. What you have in your bank account, what you have as a job, what you have as provision for your needs is not because of all the machinations that got you those things. You know, I knew somebody and then I've worked hard and whatever. It is, it is seen as the people of God, as God's provision for me. He's the one who gave you the breath. He's the one who gave you the talents. He's the one that woke you up in the morning and gave you the day. He's the one who provided all of it for you. In the Old Testament, that was the main point of giving, to recognize and worship the God who is the one who gives. He has storehouses with plenty. And so if our trust is in him, it should be easy to give. If we believe that God will take care of us, it should be easy to give. And if it isn't for you, you need to kind of do some work in your soul because your faith isn't in the God who cares for you. Your faith is somewhere else. That's one of the main points. If we believe that everything we have came from God, it should make sense for us to give it back to what he's doing in this world. But if instead we're trusting our money, it will be a battle for us to give. Few, just a few more instructions. Next chapter over, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11. And now in this chapter, Paul gives us a picture that he kind of uses this idea of farming to tell us why we should give and how. So Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to 11 says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul gives us this idea of sowing and reaping, of farming. Paul says that we give, and we give because we're trying to fuel what God is doing in this world. 
We give to people who are in need. That's God's compassion to them. We give to the work of worship and the place of worship because that's where God is calling us to gather together. But what he's saying is when we give, we are planting seeds. It's like we're planting seeds that will produce a harvest. When you plant a seed, do you, does the harvest exceed the planting? In other words, if I put one seed in the ground, do I get one seed back? That's the principle of the harvest. If I put one seed in the ground, I get more than one seed back. It's why I plant it in the ground. And he's saying the, the, the farmer could hoard all of his seed. I'm not getting it. I need the seed. I need it to eat. But the, the farmer understands this principle that in order for there to be increase, I need to give it away. I need to plant it so it will grow into something else, into harvest, into more. Okay. Now, if you're listening to televangelists, they will tell you it's more money. Uh, it's not more money. How do I know that? Did you hear what I just read from the last chapter? Jesus who became poor so that we could become rich. Do you really think he was talking about us being having full wallets? Jesus didn't come to die so you could have lots of cash. He came to die so you could actually be rich, eternally rich, with life and hope and peace and healing and forgiveness, the riches that endure beyond this world, the riches that are unshakable and endure forever, those riches, he became poor so we could have those. So when we read a passage like this, if you want to twist it around, oh, well, if you give money, you're going to get money. Let me tell you, that is an absolutely awful way of interpreting the scripture. And if you give expecting to get money in return, money has a hold on you. It has become your God. And you need to not give until you give because you want to support what God is doing. You want to harvest, like he says here, a harvest of righteousness. Do you want that? In other words, that rightness would spread, that salvation would increase, that more would come into the kingdom of God, that I would learn and grow in my faith. I would become stronger and more whole in Jesus Christ. I would grow up into maturity and those I love would grow up into maturity so that there would be a harvest of righteousness here in Woodbury. Is that why I give? Because that's what he's talking about. And the only way I give like that is if I really believe that that's valuable. If I really believe that that matters. Reaping here is about the work of God, not something as common and earthly as money. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. So here's the idea. There's no rule. He doesn't give us a rule. I can't give you a rule. You'd better give 3.75% of you. There's no rule. What there is, is a calling for you to respond It's not a rule, it's a response. And you are to respond and decide in your heart. It makes it personal. One of the reasons we don't pass an offering plate here is because we don't want anyone to give reluctantly or under compulsion. We want you to give in response to your relationship with God in your own heart, just as you're called here to do, to decide for yourself, not feel forced or guilty in order to give. If you someday are called from this church somewhere else, or this isn't your church, or you're watching on TV, and the methodology that they're trying to do to get you to give is to make you feel forced or guilty, don't give to them. Because that's not, if that happens up here, don't give to us. 
We are not called to give under compulsion or reluctantly. It shouldn't be pride out of our hands. But, Church of Jesus Christ, don't wait until someone like, feels like they have to make you feel guilty or forced. Like It kind of goes both ways. This is your calling as the body of Christ to give because you get to give. He says God loves a cheerful giver, one who says, I get to give. This is amazing. This is incredible. I am giving towards the best thing that happened in this whole entire universe throughout all history for what God is doing right now, right here. Paul uses that, he freely scattered. They freely scattered. There wasn't reluctance. There wasn't hesitation because they believe when you plant seed, it grows into something bigger and better. And that main scripture That main theme in Scripture is that we give because it turns something as ordinary and common as money into eternal stuff. That's what it does. If you don't believe that, don't give. If you don't believe that, don't give. It's unhealthy for you to give. And I'm not saying if you don't feel it because feelings go all over the place. I'm saying when you look down inside your soul, If you have not become convinced that the greatest purpose and the greatest calling and the greatest thing we can do with our life is what we're doing here together as a church, if you can't get there, then don't give. But if you look down and you believe that the best thing that ever happened in all of time is that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so people could have hope and faith and healing and life, if you believe that, then give because you believe in what God is doing with that through this place. To me, that's the, that's the telltale. It's the way that God shows us a healthy heart of giving versus an unhealthy way of giving. And it starts to open you up to like what God might be doing in your paycheck. What if the money that you have is an example of God giving to you so that you can give what he wants others to have to them? What if God provided extra for you so that, and took like provision away from someone else in the normal way because he wants to provide for them through you because he values the connection in the body of Christ in love and sacrifice and the reflection of Jesus Christ who gave everything for us. That's what he values and he wants that to happen in the body of Christ. But we're all off in our silos worrying about our bills and our bank account balance and our everything and we, we have money as the way we insulate ourselves from one another instead of money as the way that God uses us to serve one another. Right? So I'm saying to you, this is what we start to do when we recognize that money is not my security. Money is not my hope. My life and where I stand and how I am, my joy, my peace, is not dependent on my money. And you won't get there unless you're willing to give your money away. Your money will naturally pull you in as an idol until you are willing to battle it by giving what God has given to you back to him whether it's in an offering or whether it's to people in need you give what god gave you to other people certainly some of what god gave you lots of what god gave you is for your needs absolutely but some of what god gave you is so that you could be used by god to fuel his work in the church that you belong to so believers we give because we believe this He says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It is to the credit 
to God. As we give and what God does, it's to God's credit. So we give because we believe that. We give because we believe God's work is the greatest purpose and the greatest cause we could ever have. We give because it's how God provides for his work. But lastly, we give because he gave. And I want to show you that. I want us to take communion together and remember how he gave.